Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Here they are with the most wins in the big leagues with 103 during the regular season, three outs away from the 2016 World Series. And the credit they got to be... It's October 2016, and Rod Blagojevich is in a prison cell. He's missing out on something that hadn't happened in Chicago since before he was born. Rod was a lifelong fan of the Chicago Cubs. He and his oldest daughter, Amy, went to a lot of games together. And now Rod's not here, and Amy's, like, crying because, you know, she's not going to be able to experience that with her father. But maybe they could experience it together. Patty immediately looked up the schedule for the World Series. Game three was going to be on a Friday night. So I thought, this is fabulous because visiting's on Friday night, I can fly Amy out there, and at least they can sit in the visiting room and watch the World Series together. And for some reason, the corrections officer that was in charge of the visiting room at that time was this hard ass who wasn't letting the TV be turned on. Rod went to him and said, you know, can you put the World Series on? And he wouldn't do it. It was just like, what, what the hell? Like, why would you, why would you do that? Rod Blagojevich is still only halfway through his sentence in a federal prison in Colorado. When he was governor, Blagojevich would get the red carpet treatment at Wrigley Field. Now, as a prisoner, he can't get a guard to push a button on a TV. How is Rod doing? Um, I think he's doing all right, you know. He mm-hmm. reads a lot. He, like, oddly enough, reads the Bible a lot. <laughs> Did he's, he do that before? No. Look at you're sitting there. You got to make some kind of meaning out of it, uh, and feel like there's like some bigger purpose that this is for. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Dave McKinney. This is Public Official A, and we are at the end. Thank you. You're just saying go, Rod, go, because you can't say Blagojevich. This is our podcast about the downfall of a charismatic politician. Too many people are talking about how you get things done. Multiple investigations began into Blagojevich fundraising operations. We all knew what was going on, and yet it never ended. Every campaign tries to push the envelope on raising money. These guys tore the envelope up. Across years, the feds began to penetrate Blagojevich's inner circle. I'm in a room where he's instructed, not just me, but others, to go out and essentially shake down interests that are doing business with the state. When I met with the government, I told him. The FBI began listening in on Blagojevich's calls when he just so happened to be making a big decision. Anything going on in the um, Senate stuff? Blagojevich was arrested, kicked out of office, and went on a media blitz to proclaim his innocence. Governor, do you expect to win this case? I believe we got close to 50-50 by the time we went to trial. And that is the beginning of me being able to prove my innocence. The public was saying, yes, he was definitely guilty, and the others were saying, you know what, any man who comes out and says he's innocent like this, there's got to be something to his story. 
Now, in this episode, we enter the courtroom. Part 6. I Talk Too Much. He's dismissed from the witness stand. And I could see him walking towards me. And he began to hold out his hand to shake my hand. But I turned away from him. It seems like a simple thing. It's just a handshake. But lead prosecutor Reed Shar had just grilled Blagojevich for hours. Shar had been on the Blagojevich case for years, and this cross-examination was the culmination of everything. And after Rod stepped down from the witness stand, Shar was not going to shake his hand in front of the jury. I had no interest in shaking someone who had taken an oath to tell the truth in a United States courthouse and had tried to lie their way out of their conduct. That's not someone whose hand I wanted to shake. And of course I knew it was all a play by him in front of the jury, like aren't we all just friends at the, at the end of the day? The answer is we're not friends. I wanted to tell you about him as a sort of a courtroom tactician. Every, everything's a calculated show. I'm sure he knew he was going to do that. Uh, and it is what it is. Beyond witness testimony, the main piece of evidence the prosecution had to present to the jury were Rod's own words. What's best for us? Right. First and foremost. You know, he certainly never thought these phone calls would ever see the light of day. On their face, the FBI tapes recorded toward the end of 2008 were damning. It's disappointing in the sense that you wish and you hope that your public officials will act very differently. I mean, you guys are telling me I just got to suck it up for two years and do nothing. Give this motherfucker his senator. Fuck him. For nothing? Fuck him. I don't want Rod talking like that as my governor. It's terrible. It's ridiculous. And I told Rod that, Rod, as my governor, I hate this. As your lawyer in a criminal case, this is not criminal activity. Sam Adam Jr. led Rod's defense team. Over and over, he said the tapes were damning because you were only hearing excerpts selected by the prosecution. That argument was summed up in a single phrase. I was out yelling and screaming. Rod was out yelling and screaming, play the tapes. Play all the tapes. Play, play all the tapes. Play the truth and play the whole truth. Ultimately, most of the tapes that Bogoyevich and Adam wanted to play for the jury were never played, and they remain under seal. To this day, Adam and Patty Blagojevich say that that demonstrates a government cover-up. Lead prosecutor Reed Shar. The U.S. Attorney's Office doesn't decide what evidence a jury sees. The defendant doesn't decide what evidence a, a jury hears or sees. A judge does. In this case, one of the most highly respected judges in the Northern District, Judge Zagel. In this case, they submitted every single tape that they wanted played to the judge. The judge then made an independent decision as to what would be played and what would not be played. I can only tell you that I am very comfortable that the judges made the right decision. I remember being so cold in there. The Blagojevich corruption trial began in June of 2010. So cold all the time, and the benches are so hard, and sitting there for hours and hours and hours. You were always in the front row the times I was yeah. there. With my shawl, trying to keep myself warm. Judge James Zagel ran a tight ship. Audio or video recording was prohibited. Blagojevich faced a total of 24 counts, ranging from bribery to fraud 
to extortion. For their first major witness, the prosecution called a former close friend of Rod's to the stand. Lon Monk and Rod Blagojevich knew each other for decades. Monk was a groomsman in Rod and Patty's wedding, and he held a number of positions in Rod's campaigns. Monk described times he says personal interests drove Blagojevich's government actions. Lon Monk and other witnesses testified to things that looked really bad. The testimony was backed up on the FBI tapes. Hey, Lon. How are you? Good. Just got back from a haircut. Wow, you sound like you just got back on the run. <clears throat> really? <laughs> Here's what's happening. Monk and Blagojevich are pursuing a potential $100,000 campaign contribution from a racetrack owner named John Johnston. At the same time, there was some legislation awaiting Rod's signature that would require Illinois casinos to pay a percentage of their revenue to the horse racing industry. December 2nd, 8.50 a.m., call between Lon Monk and racetrack owner John Johnston. How much is it How much is it a day that you're losing right now by him not signing it? Our group is 9000 a day. 9000 a day? Yeah. Okay. Prosecutors allege that Blagojevich's delay in acting on the bill was being used as leverage to get the $100,000 contribution. December 3rd, 2.13 p.m. Secret recording at Blagojevich campaign headquarters. Lon Monk and the governor are present. Look, I want to go to him without crossing the line and say, give us the fucking Monk is planning on going to John Johnston after this meeting to say in so many words, quote, Give us the fucking money. If a possible shakedown of a horse track owner seems tame, the other major alleged shakedown seemed far more egregious. That one involved a children's hospital. Lead prosecutor Reed Shar. When you get to an episode like Children's Memorial Hospital, where he was willing to hold up funding that would have helped all children's hospitals in Illinois because he wasn't getting the campaign contributions. At that point, um, in my view, um, he's defined what he's willing to do and the extent to which he's willing to do it. During the trial, Lon Monk and another close friend, John Wyma, testified about a particular contribution that Blagojevich was pursuing from the CEO of Children's Memorial Hospital in Chicago. That steams me because it's so outrageous that Rod would do anything to hurt Children's Memorial Hospital. I mean, it's like unbelievable. John Wyma testified that at a fundraising meeting, Blagojevich said, quote, I'm going to give them $8 million. Rod's referring to some state action that would benefit the hospital. He then told Wyma, I want you to get the CEO for $50,000. The prosecution played tapes of Rod and his team's multiple attempts to get in touch with the CEO. November 12th, 8.43 a.m., call between Rod and his brother Robert, who was then head of the Bogoyevich Campaign Fund. I've left three messages there, so I'm going to quit calling. I feel stupid now. When's the last phone call? Uh, Two days ago. I'll call him. Good. At the trial... The CEO testified that he was avoiding the calls and that he thought the state action and the contribution were linked. Quote, I felt threatened, I felt at risk, and I felt a little angry. So, the racetrack, the children's hospital, finally, 
we get to the big one, Barack Obama's Senate seat. Was Rod trying to sell it? The prosecution piped the governor's choice language through the courtroom speakers. I mean, I, I've got this thing, and it's fucking golden. And I, I'm just not giving it up for fucking nothing. The defense's position was that Rod meant something else in that famous tape. He's got this appointment to make, and it's very powerful. There's a lot of, that he can do with it to move the state forward. He wasn't saying, I've got this thing and it's effing golden for me, but the state of Illinois. If you remember, toward the end of the wiretaps, Blagojevich was basically debating giving the seat to one of two options, Congressman Jesse Jackson Jr. or then-Illinois Attorney General Lisa Madigan. Jackson's supporters were offering some significant fundraising. Madigan's powerful father, Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan, could help Rod accomplish things for the people of Illinois. Patty is insistent that Rod would have never appointed Jackson and that he was getting ready to appoint Madigan. I don't think that call was played at trial, but we were upstairs in our bedroom and he's talking to his chief of staff and he says, well, I think we really need to get moving now on this Lisa Madigan situation. And they were saying, let's get started on this first thing in the morning. And then they came and arrested him at 6 o'clock in the morning the next morning. Total and complete fabrication. Then Illinois Attorney General Lisa Madigan. I think this is one of Rod Bogoyevich's harebrained musings. I think they thought this must have been their best defense, and they've stuck with it. But never talked to the governor, never talked to anybody with the governor about that. I think this is all in the aftermath, you know, what sounds best for their purposes. Lead prosecutor Reed Shar. Frankly, one of the most compelling series of phone calls that was played at the trial was Mr. Bogoyevich talking to his brother and basically saying it was time to get in touch with a middleman who had previously offered a bribe and basically say, we will make Jesse Jackson Jr. the senator in exchange for $1.5 million in campaign contributions. December 4th, 2.43 p.m. If, if in fact, there's, there's, this, is, you know, this is possible, then some of this stuff's got to start happening now. Yep. Right now. And we got to see it. Okay. You understand? Now, you got to be careful how you express that. And assume everybody's listening, the whole world's listening. You hear me? Right, right. But there's tangible political support, like you've said. Start showing us now. Yeah. Okay. There's no gray area there. Whatever other discussion might have occurred, and I think I, you know, during the, the trial, we admitted that there were times where he spoke about things that would have been proper if he had pursued them. The problem was he pursued things that were illegal. So, that was the evidence the jury heard. Bogoyevich's lawyers argued that the tapes didn't show anything and that no money or jobs were actually exchanged. That is true. Ultimately, regarding the racetrack and Children's Memorial Hospital, no contributions were made and the relevant state action eventually happened. Jesse Jackson Jr. was not appointed to be a U.S. senator. Blagojevich didn't get any big campaign money in exchange for the seat. But for Shar, that's not the point. The question is not whether or not you succeed in lining your pocket, right? If you walk into a bank um, with a gun and a note and you get tackled once you're inside the door and luckily no one gets hurt and the, and the bank doesn't get robbed, that doesn't mean you're not being charged with attempted bank robbery. He had actively taken steps to move these schemes and these conspiracies forward, and he was foiled before it could happen. As the prosecution was winding down, 
the jury still hadn't heard Rod's explanation yet. According to Blagojevich, the jury would hear directly from him soon. Now the process to prove my innocence begins, and I will prove my innocence, and I will testify. Defense attorney Sam Adam Jr. The complexion of a criminal case always changes when a defendant testifies. And it goes from did the government prove it to do we believe him. Toward the end of the trial, Sam Adam Jr. and his father, Sam Adams Sr., were prepping Blagojevich for his testimony. The defense team was paranoid that their office was bugged, so they took their preparations off-site. So we took the governor of the state of Illinois five blocks away and prepped him in a park. The Adams and the Blagojeviches went to Jackson Park on the south side of Chicago, the future site of the Obama Presidential Library. People would stop him. You know, Rod was huge, especially in the black community, which where, where this was. We had buses to stop him. Good luck. Many times we'd, we'd begin to prep him. One of the things he's very good at is, is being able to talk and explain. But what happened was the government started to believe Rod was going to testify. And we started noticing that they had changed the order of witnesses. I looked at my dad and I said, Pop, they're holding back witnesses. They're, wait, wait, they're, hold, they're holding back witnesses. I see what they're doing. They're going to wait till Rod hits the stand and then they're going to call all these people in to try to rebut him. And they haven't proved their case. They have not. And then my father says, all right, he's not going to go on then. I said, Pop, I told the jury they're going to look at me like I'm the, the biggest piece of you-know-what in the world. How, how can I have any credibility with them? And he said, nope, there's got to be a captain with the ship, son, and I am that captain. Now, you are a seaman third class on the poop deck. <laughs> and I said, yes, sir. They decided not to put Blagojevich on the stand. I wish I could look at you and honestly tell you my father and I had devised this plan, and it was a genius plan. We were going to trick Reed Shar. We were going to trick the government. That is absolutely untrue. Back in court, after the last witness was called, the defense asked Judge Zagel for a sidebar. Both sides and the judge had a private discussion at the side of the room. As they talked, Reed Shar appeared to be seething, and he shook his head with a look of disbelief. When the defense came back to their table, Blagojevich shook their hands and slapped them on the back. It was as if it was all over. The defense rested. Blagojevich talked to the press in the courthouse lobby. I've learned a lot of lessons from this whole experience, and perhaps maybe the biggest lesson I've learned is that I talk too much. Thank you. During closing arguments, Sam Adam began by telling jurors, quote, I promised each and every one of you that Rod was going to get up there and take the stand. But he continued, I had no idea, no idea that in two months of trial, they would prove nothing. In his rebuttal, Reed Shar told jurors the ex-governor's lawyers wanted them to believe the government is out to get Blagojevich. If so, Shar said mockingly, this is one of the great frame-ups of all time. And with that, the jury began to deliberate. I wanted him to stand up. Uh, we no need to deliberate. Let that man go. Nothing to debate. What are you back there debating? What were you thinking 
as the deliberations dragged on. I lost. We have to wait and express uh, our appreciation to the uh, men and women who are sitting on the jury. Hattie and I have great confidence and faith in, in their judgment, their common sense, and their decency. There's nothing worse than waiting on a jury. Nothing. Yeah, it's awful. You're just kind of watching a lot of movies, trying to distract yourself somehow. Two days. Five days. Ten days. Two weeks. In a short hearing, Judge James Zagel said he'd heard nothing from the jury. No questions, no requests, no verdict. He said, quote, we are all exactly in the same position. We are waiting. The following day, the judge received a note. In the note, jurors told Judge James Zagel that they were having trouble reaching unanimous decisions on counts. The press began to wonder what was going on in that jury room. Then finally, three weeks after deliberations started, a verdict. I had a terrible feeling. I had a terrible feeling. Were you looking at the jurors when those verdicts were yep. read? And, and what did you deduce from what you saw in the jury box? I just saw them hating me. That's what I saw. I turned to Rod and apologized. I apologized to Rod. At that moment? At that moment. I'm sorry. And what did he say? And Rod put his arm around me and said, oh, come on. Are you kidding me? I appreciate everything you did. There were 24 counts against Rod Blagojevich. The jury couldn't agree on a verdict on count one. They were hung. Hung on count two. And on. Counts three, four, all the way to 23. No guilty verdict. It was only on count 24, lying to federal investigators, that the jury found Rod guilty. During an interview with the FBI, Blagojevich had claimed that there was a, quote, firewall in his office between fundraising and governing, and that he didn't track who contributed to his campaign or how much was contributed. The jury determined that was a lie. Okay, let me begin by uh, first and foremost uh, thanking my legal team. Uh, Y'all know who they are, Sam Adam Sr., Sam Adam Jr., my friend. Considering what he was facing, Rod spun it as a victory. Blagojevich talked to the press inside the courthouse. On every count except for one, and every charge except for one, uh, they could not prove that I did anything wrong, that I did break, that I did break any laws, except for one nebulous charge from five years ago. We were depressed, like, oh my gosh, we were sad about the conviction, and our attorneys were like, oh my god, this is a good thing. And we're like, how is this a good thing? And to me, it wasn't a good thing because I knew they weren't going to stop. I knew they were going to just keep coming after us. It wasn't over. That was the problem. It's going to keep on going. Now, how much longer is this going to keep going? Coming up next, round two. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This is Public Official A, Part 6. I talk too much. Everything in a year and a half came flooding out, and me being angry and upset. After the verdict, defense attorney Sam Adam Jr. heard prosecutors say they were planning on a retrial of Blagojevich. I went downstairs and started yelling at the cameras, crazy about $20 million, $30 million or something. I said, nuts. 
because um, it was pure emotion. It was raw, pure emotion. Important job, but why are we spending 25 to 30 million dollars on a retrial and you couldn't prove it the first time? We would ask that, that day after we took the verdict, um, I, I think we went up and told the judge we're ready to do this again in a month. Lead prosecutor Reed Shar immediately said the government was willing to try Blagojevich again. Let's go. You let us know when and we'll be here and we'll do it. I, there was no doubt that this was going to that this was going to happen. The second trial of Rod Blagojevich wouldn't happen for another eight months. And that trial was not preceded by a media blitz or reality TV gigs. The Blagojevich's money was low. We didn't have any, like, real, you know, besides equity in our house or whatever. I didn't have millions of dollars to pull out of my house for that. The Adamses took a hike because the money was gone. It had nothing to do with money. It was, is he best served with them knowing, meaning the government, knowing how we try a case now? We surprised them. They didn't expect me to, to be the way that I was. But once they did, oh, it's it's on. Once you, you know, you can only be the Wizard of Oz so long until the curtain's drawn back and they see, you know. The Blagojeviches paid for the first trial with money in Rod's campaign fund, but that money was long gone. Judge Zagel allowed the defense team to be paid with taxpayer money. During the first trial, people lined up at 5 in the morning to get into the courtroom. In the second trial, a lot of the benches were empty. The national media interest had all but evaporated. In the second trial, Judge Zagel kept the defense team on a tight leash and they struggled in court. The prosecution landed a lot of punches across just three weeks of testimony. They focused heavily on the damning evidence in the tapes, and at the end, they contrasted that Rod Blagojevich with Rod Blagojevich on his very first day as governor. I... Rod R. Blagojevich. Do solemnly swear. Do solemnly swear. Jurors looked up at a large screen in the courtroom, at a video of a younger Blagojevich smiling with his family beside him as he took the oath of office. And that I will faithfully discharge. The duties of the office of governor. The duties of the office of governor. To the best of my ability. To the best of my ability. With that, prosecutors rested their case. In this trial, Blagojevich took the stand and testified to his innocence. After the defense's direct examination, it was the prosecution's turn. Judge Zagel looked to Reed Shar and asked if he was ready. I had prepared for this for a long time. Do you remember what your first question was? Sure. Mr. Blagojevich, you are a convicted liar, correct? And how did the courtroom react when you said that? It was a bit of a free-for-all. His lawyers all jumped up and, you know, yelled and screamed about the fact I'd asked that question. That moment of drama came after almost five days of pretty easy questioning from the defense. With his lawyer asking the questions, Blagojevich talked about being a shoeshine boy at the age of nine. He talked about working in Alaska on an oil pipeline as a young man. He talked about his hair. He even talked about his athletic ability. Quote, I was the only governor in America who could spin a basketball on all five fingers of his right hand. 
He seemed to have a story calibrated for every one of the jurors. So he would talk about a small business that his aunt and uncle had that had failed. Well, there was a juror that was running a video store and was having trouble with the business because Netflix had come in. So he had a little vignette including about how he took a trip to Boston one time as part of his campaign, which seemed to come out of left field until you realized that there was a juror who was from Boston and always wore Boston Red Sox or New England Patriots gear. Rod's defense lawyer moved gently into the FBI tapes. Blagojevich said, quote, When I hear myself on the tape swearing like that, I'm an effing jerk and I apologize. His lawyer asked why he worked from home a lot. Blagojevich said it was because he could do state work and fundraising at the same time. They showed pictures of his home library. His lawyer asked, Rod, did you read all those books? Blagojevich responded, quote, I'm under oath, right? No, but I have to say, I actually read, you know, a pretty good number of them. Look, there's a reason he was elected twice. He's very personable. And he is engaging and disarming and in some ways comes across as likable. At one point, the judge admonished the defense lawyer, quote, I think you have a client who likes to talk about stuff and likes to give some version of a campaign speech, but I think we've reached the point where it's not doing the trial any good and probably not doing your client any good. Mr. Bogoyevich, you are a convicted liar, correct? Shar asked that first question, referring to the successful conviction of lying to the FBI from the first Bogoyevich trial. He tried to answer, uh, to say, well, you know, it's complicated. Do you want to hear about that? And the more he fought, particularly on that first question, ultimately I knew the better off we were. Blagojevich eventually had to say, yes, he was a convicted liar. Shar and Blagojevich then dueled over a list of questions about whether Rod repeatedly lied to the public about his deliberations over the Senate seat. Every time I brought up something I knew that he had lied about, he fought it. It was like Rod was in quicksand. Shar thought he had done his job well in front of the jury. After seeing him for four or five days and kind of distancing himself from all those tapes where, you know, he was a lot more blunt and a lot more crass, then to see him revert back to, you know, the politician who won't answer a question, who's dodging and weaving, who's more like he is on the tapes than he was on the witness stand during his direct testimony— significantly hurt his credibility. Blagojevich eventually got off the stand and tried to shake Shar's hand. Shar turned away. The jury deliberated for nine days before they came back into the courtroom with a verdict. Good afternoon. I'll be reading a prepared statement from the jury. We feel confident we have reached a fair and just verdict. Rod Blagojevich was found guilty on 17 counts. After they were dismissed, jurors were available to take questions from the press. Can you tell us if you thought the governor's testimony was credible? Did you believe what he said? Um, I honestly thought at times it was manipulative, and I would have rather have heard just the facts. Um, I, frankly, am, am stunned. Um, there's not much left to say other than uh, we want to get home to our little girls and, uh, and, and talk to them and explain things to them and, and then try to sort things out. Um, and I'm sure we'll be seeing you guys again. Governor, did you get a fair trial? About six months later, 
Blagojevich was sentenced. I think I almost fainted that day, you know, like, oh my God. What were you expecting? I don't know. While speaking from the bench, Judge James Zagel said, quote, American voters usually get precisely the government they deserve. Rod Blagojevich was sentenced to 14 years in prison. Fourteen years. Political consultant Pete Gian Greco. That's just ridiculous. The sentence he got. Ridiculous. Did did Rob break the law? Yeah. Should he gone to jail? Absolutely. For that long? Come on. I mean, it's I think excessive. Lobbyist and FBI informant John Wyma. He certainly uh, has gotten more than he deserved. I absolutely do not think it's too harsh. Former FBI agent in charge Robert Grant. If somebody who robs a bank with a note and gets $1,500 does 10 to 20 years, then certainly the governor of a state who broke the trust. When you think about the damage done to our public, which one has the greater impact? Rod Bogoyevich was a terrible governor who didn't for one minute care about the people of the state of Illinois. He cared about himself. Former Illinois Attorney General Lisa Madigan. He got the sentence that he deserved, and he shouldn't come out a minute early. That's too much time. Defense Attorney Sam Adam Jr., I don't care whether you like Rod. I don't care if you think Rod's a criminal. 14 years for a nonviolent crime where no money transferred hands. That's too much time. Lead prosecutor, Reed Shar. I, I thought it was a fair sentence at the time, and I don't have any reason to think it's not now. The promises that our country makes to us about fair trials and, and you know, equal justice under the law and all that kind of stuff aren't really true. Patty Blagojevich doesn't think her husband is guilty of anything. And for the legal system to convict someone who, in her mind, is completely innocent, it's changed Patty's whole way of looking at the world. If you don't live through it, you think that the FBI are good guys and that, that you know, the Justice Department is like Elliot Ness and they're fighting Al Capone and you believe that if somebody is convicted of something, well, that means they, they definitely did it and they've got to be guilty. You know, just because the jury says it so or some judge says it so doesn't necessarily mean that's the whole story. When Blagojevich was first campaigning to become the governor of Illinois, he came into our studios at WBEZ. Our host asked him a question. Do you have a personal motto or something that is a code for you that you try to live by or that guides you at particular moments? I can recite this long poem by Rudyard Kipling called If. It's long. I don't know. You probably don't have time, but it it, it, it starts up. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies. How does your family get out from underneath this? Um, well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, my girls, I don't know how they... You know, I've encouraged both my girls to change their names, but they don't want to do that. They feel, you know, loyal to their dad, and they think that would be disloyal to him. If you can dream and not not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. I mean, in terms of, like, just, you know, being a husband and a wife, how do you maintain a marriage? I don't know. I mean, I've known Rod a long time, so... I know him. I know what I'm getting, (laughs) you know. 
and I think that you know when you go through something like this it either splits you apart or you know you survive it and get closer so I think at least so far we're in the surviving and getting closer point of view if you can bear to hear the truth you spoke and twisted by knaves that make a trap for fools or see the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn out tools if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run you know I get 300 minutes a month to talk to him and what are the things that you talk about it's pretty much the same conversation every single night. You know, I almost feel like I could, like, put it on a recording and, like, here we go. Tell me why we should feel hopeful. I've had a few times where he's like, well, he says, so tell me something hopeful. And I'd be like, why don't you tell me something hopeful? Let me tell you about the day I had. Don't ask me to tell you something hopeful. Then you feel bad because, you know, I'm here and he's there. Who's in the better place? In that federal prison in Colorado, Rod's black hair has gone completely white. He's called Gov by fellow inmates. He teaches history classes to other felons about the Civil War in Lincoln. He tutors prisoners on how to present themselves in job interviews. He even at one point formed an Elvis cover band called the Jailhouse Rockers. Rod was the lead singer. Five years after he went into prison, Rod gave his first broadcast interview to the Chicago NBC station. I've been given the, the jurisdiction to sweep and mop two floors. So my jurisdiction has shrunk from the fifth biggest state in America to these two floors. But I don't care what anybody says, Phil. I believe in clean government, and I believe in clean floors. So, let's talk about today. Are, are there lessons to take away? From, from Rod's rise and fall? Yeah, there's, there's a bunch. Former Deputy Governor Bradley Tusk is now a multimillionaire with offices in five cities. He's hired a number of his former colleagues in the Blagojevich administration. The way that we conduct elections um, is so based on celebrity and charisma uh, personality that it often delivers people who are fun to, to write about if you're a reporter, or fun to talk about, but don't really have the inherent skill set needed to do the job of governing. And electing people because they have a good head of hair or because it'd be great to have a beer with or whatever it is um, has really, really devastating consequences. Um, but you, you get what you pay for. I'm just going to say it. In terms of personality, our current president of the United States reminds me of someone. Granted, Donald Trump and Rod Blagojevich have extremely different politics and extremely different life stories. But during our interviews, a number of the people we spoke to saw similarities. They're remarkably similar to the point where sometimes I'm trying to game out what I think Trump will do on something. I just ask myself, what would Rod do? Uh, They're very similar personalities. After 16 years as the Illinois Attorney General, Lisa Madigan is now out of office after deciding not to seek re-election. Toward the end of her tenure, she had a number of battles with the Trump administration. Donald Trump, no interest in governing. Rod Bogoyevich, no interest in governing. Rod Bogoyevich loved to be in front of crowds of people and just talking to them. Clearly the president, thats you know, he's in his element when he's out at his rallies. Both of them engage in how can I make money, you know, with contracts, you know, whether it's for my campaign or myself. These aren't the only similarities between the two men that people talked about. There's another big one that the Bogoyeviches are banking on. I see a lot of similarities between what's happening now and what, what happened 
to Rod. Government's got way too much power, in my, in my opinion, way too much. And we are giving it to them because we don't like the individual they're going after. I, I feel for the president with that. I lived it. Defense attorney Sam Adam Jr.'s billboards are still up in Chicago, but he's semi-retired. He lives in Florida. I'm not going to tell you whether President Trump's right or wrong how he's being treated, but he certainly seems to feel that he's being treated much like Blagojevich was. We know that Rod and Trump got along pretty well on The Celebrity Apprentice. Some of the things that Rod said on that show may be resonating with Trump now. He very well may feel that, you know what, I finally get what he was talking about of how the government proceeds in investigations, and he sees himself as a kindred spirit. Now, that, that very well could be the case. That is the message that Patty's been putting out on Fox News nowadays, that Rod was innocent. President Trump, you're innocent. And guess what? The same people, Robert Mueller, Patrick Fitzgerald, who's a close friend of James Comey, they did it to us, and they're doing it to you. I mean, do you see the connection that they're seeing? No, but I see that they're seeing the connection. <laughs> Maggie Haberman is a reporter covering the White House and the Mueller investigation for The New York Times. She was on Air Force One when Trump mentioned that he might be open to letting Blagojevich out of prison. I understand that there are there are threads that they can pick up on to try to play to what will reflect back on the president um, and relate to his own circumstances. I think that in some cases this is a bit of a stretch, but I understand that they're trying to find overlapping threads. Patty Blagojevich has been performing for an audience of one. She's been laser focused on trying to reach President Trump. I think he's been consistent in his um, expression when he speaks publicly about Rod, how he believes it's unfair. I think the president, he has his critics or whatever, and but I don't think anybody could say that, possibly say that he's a bad father. I think he's a good father and he knows um, what it means to be a parent and knows what, how awful it is for children to grow up without their parent. Before President Trump casually mentioned Rod, he was almost forgotten about. But it's now been eight months since Trump said he was thinking of letting Blagojevich out early. Immediately after the Air Force One comment happened, the Blagojeviches started thinking that Rod was going to be home soon. But it doesn't seem to be happening. I think he's, you know, grateful the president said what he said because without that glimmer of hope, it can get kind of dark. You know, you need to maintain some hopeful feeling. And to think that he'd be, he's been there, it's going to be six and a half years now, to think that, you know, it's another five at least, you know, if you get all the good behavior time off, that's pretty dis- disheartening. Do you think that President Trump understood the impact that his comments would have on the Blagojevich family? No, I think he often does not think about the way a president's words carry. As much as the president's words have given Patty hope, they've also added this new layer of despair. Whatever you think about Patty, she's in this cruel limbo. On Air Force One, Trump said that Blagojevich never should have been put in prison in the first place. But if Trump actually believes that, why is Rod still there? There's a fair amount of irony that a fallen politician who was arguably self-absorbed is now relying on a self-absorbed politician who feels like he's being persecuted. When we first met with Patty, we weren't really sure about how he would be received. I'd written a lot of articles that weren't very flattering about her husband. We thought maybe it would end quickly or we'd get an hour. 
Instead, she kept letting us come back and sit with her in Rod's library, day after day after day. When we first sat down with her, she said she almost canceled the interview. She wasn't in a good place. She'd just heard that Rod was given a new prison job, washing pots and pans from 3.30 to 11.30 in the morning, five days a week. Like, what the heck? He's been there six years. Isn't there some kind of seniority? or Like, why, why are they doing that to him? But it's really interesting because, um, let's see, is that, is that here? Patty gets up and walks over to one of the bookcases. Like the other shelves around the room, the shelf she reaches for is filled with biographies of great historical figures. She grabs a little wooden frame with a sheet of paper in it. Let's see, it's kind of faded. Um, Kipling's poem, If. Um, so if you can keep your head when all around you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowances for their doubting too, if you can wait and not be tired by waiting or be lied about. Anyway, you get, you get the idea, but then this has got a part where it's like, if you can start at your beginnings, <laughs> you know? And so he, when he was um, a, uh, a high school student, he went to the Alaskan Pipeline to earn money for college. And his job at the Alaskan Pipeline was washing pots and pans for 12 hours a day. <laughs> Except then he was making an astronomical amount of money. So anyway, so that's what the, he, when he told me he had that job, I was like, well, you'd like that poem if this is it, if you can start again at your beginnings and where it all started, you know, making that money so you could go to law school by washing pots and pans. On the, yeah. It's meaningful if you ever read it. It's, yeah. yeah. Patty told us that if Rod wasn't home by the spring, she was thinking of putting the house on the market and, quote, dismantling everything. But she needs to get her ceiling fixed in the library. The slate roof is over 90 years old, and it's getting brittle. Is there anything we've missed? I'm hoping we're going to both live till, you know, we're nearly 90, and this is just going to be a blip. Mm-hmm. Assuming that we're all healthy and, you know, things will be good again someday. I mean, if we'd have a problem if you wanted to run for office again. <laughs> then I'd be like, you could do that with your second wife, not with me. Um, you know, that would be a problem. Public Official A is a production of WBEZ Chicago. I'm Dave McKinney. The producer is Colin McNulty. The executive producer is Kevin Dawson. Our interns are Sophie Lalonde and Bia Medias. Special thanks to Al Keefe, Brendan Banizak, and Tony Arnold. The show is mixed by Adam Yaffe. Really, really special thanks to Rob Wildeboy, Alexander Solomon, Kate Cahan, Steve Edwards, and Katie Hill. If you hear about a public official B, let us know. 
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.